On October 30th, 2022, Brazilians waited for the results of the runoff election that would set the course for their nation. The previous four years had been marked by the country's most right-wing government in decades. Brazilians stood at a crossroads. They would either continue down the far-right path of Jair Bolsonaro or re-embrace Luis Inácio Lula da Silva, a progressive known simply as Lula, who had first entered office roughly two decades prior. Though pollsters had predicted a Lula victory leading up to the election, he failed to win outright in the first round of voting, sending the country into a runoff. In the lead-up to both votes, Bolsonaro attempted to discredit the election itself with unfounded accusations of fraud. So Brazilians returned to the polls to cast their vote, not only for the future governance of their country, but in a referendum on democracy itself. All over the world, people watched and waited to see which future the most populous country in Latin America would choose for itself. Finally, when the dust settled on the evening of the 30th, Luis Inácio Lula da Silva pulled ahead of incumbent Jair Bolsonaro by a fraction of a percent. I feel free, relieved, not only for the Brazilian people, but for the whole planet, for the Amazon, for the democracy, for the human rights. A narrow margin of votes changed the course of Brazil's future. In any race this close, every vote counts. This time around, an unprecedented effort to register and mobilize young voters likely brought Lula to victory. People say to me, you gotta be crazy. How can you sing in times like these? Don't you read the news? Don't you know the score? How can you sing? And so many others grieve. By way of a reply, I say a fool such as I, who sees his song as somewhere to begin. I'm thrilled to welcome you to season three of Words to Win By. I'm Anat Shankar Osorio. I develop, test, and deploy political messaging to help candidates, organizers, and activists around the world win progressive victories. Today we're in Brazil, where mobilizing young people helped secure a pivotal win. Among many things that make Brazil unique, voting is compulsory over 18, and the voting age is 16. This leaves a highly progressive, but also often disengaged segment. 16 to 18 year olds, ripe for activation. In order to understand just what was at stake and how campaigners achieved this success, we need to go back to 2003, when Lula first became president of Brazil. Lula was a new kind of candidate. He was a working class person from a remote northern town in a country where southern elites had long dominated. During Brazil's military dictatorship, he helped organize union workers and supporters into a political party, the Partido dos Trabajadores, or Workers' Party, known as PT for short. After three failed bids for the presidency, Lula assembled a diverse coalition. 
He was backed by low-income folks, left-leaning Catholics, Afro-Brazilians, indigenous people, and well-known members of Brazil's center-right parties. Viva o Brasil e viva o povo brasileiro! His first term saw economic prosperity, ending a long period of unrest and the introduction of many social welfare programs. By the time Lula left office in 2010, his approval rating was nearly 90%. Four years later, the tide turned. A government investigation found the leaders of the PT implicated in a scheme involving Brazil's state-owned oil company. In 2017, Lula himself was convicted of taking bribes and sentenced to nine years in prison. Lula remained popular, even behind bars. That's partially because of Lula's extraordinary oratorical skills, inspiring his followers and casting their shared struggle as one for the ages, even when he was brought low by his opposition. What you're hearing is the speech Lula made while turning himself into prison. He's saying, the right is persecuting progressives. It's not a new story. He goes on to retell a parable he heard from a young girl back in 1982, which encapsulates the epic aims and collective efforts of Lula's movement. He says, a powerful can kill one, two, or three roses, but they will never stop spring. Our fight is in search of spring. Still, the scandal left its mark on Brazilians. The alleged corruption of the leftist party, the fragmentation of a sizable coalition that had ruled Brazil for decades, and the growing wave of right-wing nationalism around the world paved the way for a turbulent 2018 election. Jair Bolsonaro, a far-right former army officer, also known as the Trump of the tropics, ran on a platform of cleaning up government corruption. His very own Drain the Swamp. Living up to his nickname, he gutted protections for the Amazon rainforest, stoked divisions by battling what he named gender ideology, and peddled doubt and disinformation about COVID-19 and vaccines. At the end of Bolsonaro's term, Brazil had suffered more than 600,000 deaths from the virus. In 2019, Lula was released from prison and his convictions were annulled. Combined with his persistent popularity, he easily became the leftist candidate for the 2022 election against Bolsonaro. And beyond a simple vote for left or right, the election became a battle for democracy itself in Brazil. October polling showed Lula's lead narrowing as Bolsonaro gained ground. Every vote counted. There was one group that remained unaccounted for in this election— a voting bloc disillusioned by both Bolsonaro's regressive regime and by a 77-year-old ex-president. It's very sad, in my opinion, to see Brazil in this state where we have to decide between two candidates that just make Brazil such a polarized country, inciting violence. I think especially they don't represent any of the young population, right? Any progress in the country. 
Young people were fed up with Bolsonaro, but they didn't have the lived experience of Lula's first presidency that motivated older voters. However, in polls, fewer than 25% of young people supported Bolsonaro. And as I mentioned, in Brazil, people as young as 16 can vote, one of just 11 countries in the world with this setup. Young people would be a major progressive voting bloc if they went to the polls. But most of them weren't even registered. In 2012, a non-presidential election year, nearly 2.5 million 16- and 17-year-olds were registered to vote. As of June 2022, just a month before the registration cutoff, only 850,000 16- to 18-year-old voters had registered, a 60% decline from the decade before. On top of general disinterest in the political system, these potential voters come from the population that's notoriously hard to reach, Gen Z. Much has been said about Gen Z, lots of it hyperbolic and simplistic. After all, millions of people can't be reduced to some essential attribute, even if their dates of birth coincide. But one truism does hold. This cohort is made up of digital natives, people born into not just the internet, but social media and smartphones. Of course, this doesn't apply to young people in remote indigenous communities, nor those pushed to the economic margins. But for the most part, they're used to endless streams of messages coming at them, algorithmically individuated information, and homemade content they create and consume from influencers and friends. In short, their bullshit detectors are set at 11. They regard professionalized attempts to communicate en masse with suspicion. Plus, it's harder to get their attention in the first place. There are, however, people figuring out how to break through. People like Gabby Junes. My name is Gabby Junes. And I'm a communicator and an organizer since I was 20, for 17 years now. I got to meet Gabby during one of my trainings for Brazilians working at the forefront of the election. In 2022, she was part of a team trying to rally would-be voters. She saw that young people were waiting to be spoken to, ready to be heard. There was very little research into this cohort, what they desired, what inspired, even why they were so tired of politics. So Gabby's colleagues conducted qualitative research to figure it out. They felt too pressured by society, as if everything depended on them. Also, they didn't believe they could change anything with their votes, as they didn't believe any politician was serious. So we understood they were not passionate about politics at all. We also learned that TikTok videos, dance, and we can call silly things, had no power to convince them about anything. They said it very straight. It's hard to sound authentic when you communicate with Gen Z sometimes via messaging campaigns. It sort of sounds forced or corporate and they can smell the inauthenticity. How did you find messaging that worked for young people? It's probably a generation thing and not to understand the next generation. We were mostly millennials being cringe, thinking 16-year-olds were only into dancing on TikTok. We researched a lot to identify messages, understand their differences, and we learned they were very educated young people, this generation. The natural move could be deny their aesthetics and their wishes as ugly or superficial, 
But instead of that, we decided to go where they wanted to be and look just like they wanted to look. So you started to develop this really unique campaign to rally potential youth voters, and you talked about it as a campaign ecosystem. Can you tell us what that means and what that looks like internally? A campaign ecosystem is a group of different campaigns from different organizations with a similar goal articulated to achieve it together. So we preserve identities, messages, and audiences and our diversity, and we are still fighting together. And to society, we appear to be what we are. We appear to be several different voices everywhere agreeing on a demand together. You've called this approach polyvocal. What does polyvocal mean? And why was that important to do in a country that's as big and diverse as Brazil? Polyvocal means many voices coming together, each voice individual and distinct, and speaking for change in the same direction. We wanted to mitigate the risk of putting all of our resources in one single strategy. We were every kind of organizations, from environmentalists to youth organizations, democracy organizations, women fighting for women decision-making positions, really almost every kind of organization, especially because we were very afraid of having Bolsonaro re-elected because he affected all of our work. And how did you get all of these different organizations to campaign together and still get to keep their own authentic voice for their specific audience? I had with me a video maker and a graphic designer that could do materials to other groups, and they would put their logo with the work of my team. And on the other hand, another organization was very good at digital campaigning. So we were really sharing our resources. For example, Polities is an organization that was involved. They published several cards with the message, Se você não decidir, alguém vai decidir por você. If you don't decide, someone will decide for you. At the same time, Army Help the Planet, which is a Brazilian fan base of BTS, they projected on walls the message, speak yourself, in English, because it's the message of a BTS tour. It's what their audience would understand. So it's the same message behind it, but differently spoken. From their research, Gabby and her colleagues knew that messages about individual empowerment resonated with Gen Z. Young people had different interests and would respond to campaigns made with those interests in mind. Something that tested really well, as Gabby mentioned, was, if you don't decide, someone will decide for you. This approach achieves two key things in one compact sentence. First, it's an indicate-don't-implicate way of avoiding what Gen Z found repellent, being told over and again that this massive responsibility for saving Brazil was all on them. It transmits that this election is absolutely critical without lecturing. Second, it activates a political form of FOMO, suggesting that opting out will mean an even worse outcome, and with it, urging the listener to wield their own power. Admittedly, this particular phrase isn't the beautiful tomorrow approach, but given the context, pandemic, economic hardship, deep cynicism, it fit the bill. 
And it was situated within a broader creative ad campaign that rendered this message in more positive terms and reached Gen Z where they already are. Like this ad distributed on WhatsApp, which looks as delightfully kitschy as it sounds. Jovem, você aí que completa 16 anos este ano, o dever te chama. Venha ajudar a transformar o rumo dessa história. 16-year-olds, your duty calls you. Come help and change the course of history. You can do your part to fix the mess that previous generations made. Para ajeitar toda essa cagada aí que as gerações anteriores fizeram. Porque é old. Why leave it to the old folks? We need you to choose and give voice to new ideas for our country. Faça isso agora mesmo. Reage! This ad shows a string of memes encouraging young people to register to vote and giving them agency through that act. The campaign ecosystem wasn't just putting out messages online. They brought their message to young Brazilians. We were getting out of the pandemics. Young people wanted to go out. They wanted offline stuff. And the biggest festival was Lollapalooza. It was going to happen before the registration final date. So we decided to go there. We invited one of the graphic designers of Lollapalooza to design our materials. We thought of really cool stuff, such as small bags to carry their mobile phones. We kind of mixed messages from Love is Beautiful to Bolsonaro Out and Amazonia de Pé, which is Amazon Forest should be untouched. We kind of used very deep messages without saying go to vote. We were just trying to give them messages to inspire political participation or moving themselves towards a historical duty they had. But we weren't saying go register in every message we had. So what we would call cueing instead of mandating behavior, because oftentimes what we find when we tell folks, go do this, if it feels like you're lecturing them or you're the grown up and you're telling them what to do, it's basically like, fuck you very much. Whereas inspiring people to want to go do the thing or suggesting that they're already going to can be much more effective. In Brazil, like in the United States, organizations that get public funding cannot campaign for individual candidates. They can't campaign for parties. How did you ensure that the young people you worked so hard to get registered and to motivate to vote actually voted progressive? Firstly, we weren't very afraid they would change so hard the way they voted because we understood they were very progressives. But Also, during the campaign, we never asked only go to register or go to vote. We were always saying why. So go to vote for the Amazon forest. Go to vote for indigenous participation in politics. We have to have a black congress. Making young people not voting for Bolsonaro wasn't very hard because all of our causes were destroyed by Bolsonaro. When we said, let's go vote for the Amazon forest, everyone understood it was against Bolsonaro. Because on the other hand, Lula started to shape his speech with these ideas of, I want to be a climate leader, indigenous people should be in power. O Brasil está pronto 
para retomar o seu protagonismo na luta contra a crise climática. He started to say what NGOs and all society groups were saying. So now I want you to paint the scene for us toward the end, during the weeks before the first round of election at the beginning of October 2022. How did you message that final push? We used the last 20 days of the election to really invite young people to vote. By that moment, we started to say, go to vote. We started to call the press to say, I want to do an interview about the big movement young people are doing this election. And this is historical. It has never happened before. So it gave young people lots of proud to be participating. Social proof. People do the thing they think people like them do. And so if young people are voting, that makes young people want to vote. That's beautiful. The campaign for the youth vote was massive. It made waves across Brazil and beyond. Let me try and convey how big it got. National celebrities got involved. Juliette and Anita, two Brazilian superstars. Their tweets reached tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of Brazilians. Gabby's coalition made an ad comparing youth who vote to the Avengers. And that ad caught the attention of... Hey everybody, it's uh, Mark Ruffalo here with uh, Media Ninja and the Brazilian Fan Centers. This Sunday, please go out and vote. Other A-list celebrities like Chris Hemsworth, Leonardo DiCaprio, and Samuel L. Jackson got in on it too, specifically calling out to young potential voters using the language and links created by this huge campaign. And remember BTS? Fans of this massively popular K-pop band known as The Army know how to make sure their favorite artists are at the top of Spotify, YouTube, album sales, social media. Name the medium. They can make a trend. Their impact is global, and they aren't shy about applying their power to politics. In 2022, when BTS's concert was broadcast in movie theaters across Brazil, Brazilian fans handed out 4,000 BTS-themed voter cards to viewers with directions to voter registration sites. Then they projected BTS lyrics, like the ones Gabby mentioned, onto billboards across the country. And so, by the deadline, the number of young people registered to vote had increased 47%. An unprecedented outcome, accomplished in no small part by the tireless efforts of youth organizers working to get other young Brazilians interested in politics. Hey y'all, I'm Erin Haynes, the host of The Amendment, a brand new weekly podcast on gender, politics, and power brought to you by the 19th News and Wonder Media Network. You've probably heard the news that this election year, our democracy is at stake. On The Amendment, I'm breaking down what that actually means, specifically for the marginalized folks who depend on our democracy the most. This is a show that dives past the headlines and gets clear on the unfinished work of our democracy. Listen to The Amendment now, wherever you get your podcasts. The idea of connecting with youth and teaching disengaged people about the importance of democracy may not, at first blush, sound sexy. 
but energizing young folks around this very idea is core to the work of one of the youth organizations Gabby mentioned, Policize. Policize trains political education advocates, young organizers who learn about democracy and politics and then disseminate that information, not only to other young people, but to their families, where they have more sway than any outside messenger. Policize has what they call embassies all over Brazil, central hubs for their work where volunteers, called ambassadors, carry out trainings and spread messaging. One of those ambassadors is Taina Gutierrez, a 24-year-old activist. She's been a volunteer at Policize since 2019, and she was instrumental in the 2022 youth vote mobilization. I would say that uh, was the most important election of uh, our generation. Our initial work began at the end of 2021, while we were planning for the next year, knowing that it would be a very difficult year with a lot of polarization and violence. And our main focus were to de-radicalize political speeches to ensure that people could learn to evaluate the proposals and paths of these politicians. And we had the ambition of reaching as many young people as possible. Tina does her advocacy and organizing in Portuguese, of course, but she, like Gabby, very kindly agreed to share lessons learned here in English. During our interview, I asked Tina what was behind the reticence among young people, and the answer was one known to us here in the U.S., deliberate lies put out by a dominating few to seize and hold power. Is a lot of uh, fake news around social medias that is focused in young people like uh, TikTok and uh, Instagram circulating videos calling to don't vote because Lula was win. Lula will win. Don't worry about it. Doesn't matter. You're good. Yes, exactly this. Exactly. Using Policize's embassy model, Taina and her colleagues started pushing materials out to people who might not know how to get started or even what the deadlines were. They handed out flyers, which had calls to action on one side, and on the other had step-by-step instructions on how to vote and how to talk to people in your circle about political issues. Taina's favorite materials included clear calls to action. O momento é agora. Vote com a gente. O futuro... Depende da nossa juventude. In English, the moment is now. Voice your power. And the future depends on our youth. These short messages inspire agency and convey urgency. Like the other examples that Gabby offered earlier, they invite young people to recognize their own power without lecturing or hectoring them. Policize's flyers encouraged young people to come to local trainings, which were all part of an integrated strategy to bring Policize's campaign to the youth. We have uh, a strategy to go to the streets and the peripheral neighborhoods to distribute the cards and these provoke young people to understand what, what do they do here. We started the conversation with young people about how this is important in these elections and uh, started a relationship with these young people. What were some of the reasons that you gave to young people to vote? 
I think that firstly, it is very important to say that speaking from young people to young people is an important factor. We choose self-responsibility in the face of a historic moment when our generation could repair the damage that a pandemic associated with negligent government with uh, healthy care. Young people is part of the changing, is part of the make decisions in the politicians' spaces. So essentially voting as an opportunity to be a part of repairing the world and really using youth voices to speak to other youth so that it didn't feel like some crotchety old person being like, you need to vote because I'm telling you. <laughs> yeah. Because that doesn't tend to work really for anything. <laughs> How did your campaign attempt to use young people and their networks to impact voter turnout more broadly? We believe that anyone and everyone in the country can and should get involved in politics. From the beginning, we never focused solely on young people. And in face-to-face -face work, on the streets, in the territories, we spoke to everyone, adapting our languages according to ages and generations. So for the older ones, we held workshops to combat fake news showing how candidates used social networks to lie and they saved their votes. And uh, in Politizi, we have uh, these thoughts about the importance to put uh, all these peoples in the same uh, conversation. Taina and her colleagues held trainings all across Brazil. All of this organizing, alongside effective messaging, led up to a down-to-the-wire election. The election decided by a margin of roughly 2 million votes, tighter than expected, making this the closest election in Brazil's history. In Brazil, campaigners did what often seems impossible listened deeply, and crafted and disseminated a narrative that imbued Gen Z with purpose and power. That's how they turned out millions of progressive voters who seemed likely to sit out the election. The U.S. faces our own presidential election in 2024, in some ways a mirror image of Brazil's. A former right-wing president faces a center-left incumbent. One thing about our presidential matchup is precisely the same as Brazil's. It will absolutely hinge on turning out voters, especially young ones. In 2018, 2020, and 2022, it was turnout in key battlegrounds that delivered victory to Democrats, with young people leading the charge, voting at higher rates than previous generations had at their age, and rejecting right-wing ideology. So we would do well to learn and apply lessons from Brazil that we also see work from past elections and ongoing field experiments here in the U.S. Go to where young people are. Don't try and shout to them from where you wish they would be. Better yet, have young people lead and inspire young people. Be polyvocal. Repetition is essential whenever and however you can do it, but authenticity is what counts most. So have an overarching concept adaptable enough 
to allow individual organizations to render it in their own terms. Take, for example, the Georgia runoff elections profiled in season two, where New Georgia Project rallied young Black voters with the unforgettable demand, Mitch better have my money. Q, don't mandate behavior. Finger-wagging that it's your duty to right the previous generation's wrongs, especially delivered from members of those previous errant generations, fall flat or may even spark backlash. Instead, inviting young people into a cause and suggesting what's desirable rather than demanding what's required is more effective. Apply social proof. People do the thing they think people like them do. Rather than belabor the fact that young people aren't voting, which actually creates permission for them to sit it out, highlight the ones who are and make this a norm. Make young people agents and tie voting to some broader cause. Most disaffected potential voters aren't buying the proposition that politicians are coming to save them, especially young people who have cynicism to spare. Where particular candidates fail to inspire, tying the act of voting to causes, from protecting the air we breathe to safeguarding our freedoms to ensuring people can lead the lives they desire, can make voting seem worthwhile. If you want your target audiences to act, you must make them, not the candidates or parties you support, the protagonists in the storyline. Words to Win By is a Wonder Media Network production. The show is produced by Carmen Borca Carrillo, Brittany Martinez, and Edie Allard. Our editor is Grace Lynch, with editorial support from Liz Brown and Lucy Jones. Big thanks to Caio Terolini, Daniela Teixeira, and OSF Latin America for bringing me to Brazil and helping make this episode happen. Our executive producers are Jenny Kaplan and me, Anat Shanker Osorio. Our theme music was written by T.R. Ritchie, produced and arranged by Dan Leone. To find out more about Polichise, check out polichise.com.br. That's P-O-L-I-T-I-Z-E. To find out more about this and any of our episodes, go to wordstowinby-pod.com. If your words don't spread, they don't work. So please let others know and rate and review the show wherever you listen to your podcasts. A song is somewhere to begin To search for something worth believing in If changes are to come There are things that must be done And a song is somewhere to begin